0: Uh, my name is Pastor Matt, I'm the one. It is the last Sunday of the decade. Pastor here at Faith Church, um, so it's a little different instead of me being up here. Um, my team led us this morning, thank you guys so very much. Um, and while Derek and Amy and the crew are away, um, they decided to let me speak. So, awesome. <laughs> uh, so anyways, um, I was, you know, a few days ago, I was looking back on um, this decade. And for me, a lot has happened. Um, I don't want to age myself, um, but uh, in this decade, I graduated high school. Um, <laughs> and in my defense, that was 2010. So, really, that was 10 years ago. Um, graduated college, um, got married to love my life in 2014. Um, we had our first child this year, we got our second one coming in a couple weeks. Um, so he'll be the first big thing for 2020, so that's pretty great. Um, moved here to Dallas, you know, get to be your worship pastor. Um, so a lot has really happened this year, Um, it's pretty great. Um, and so, you know, just before I even get into our passage this week, I just encourage you to look back on this past decade and see what God has done for you, you know, whether you got married or you had your first kid or you became grandparents or great-grandparents or you know, anything. Just thank him for what he's done. Um, So today, um, we are jumping back into our series, Better Together, um, that we started back in September, um, going through the book of First Corinthians. Uh, We took a break in Advent season um, to go through the Advent series, Um, but we are jumping back in. um, And so just really quick, Um, give a brief overview about what we've been over. Um, Today we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 through 13. The whole chapter of it is pretty short, but it's really great. Um, And so the first seven chapters of 1 Corinthians was about um, the unity of the church, um, the power of the gospel um, through the cross of Christ. Um, We talked about marriage. We talked about sexuality. We talked about singleness. Um, We talked about a lot of stuff, Um, but in chapter 8, we begin to take um, a little bit of a turn um, into a very culturally relevant topic of the time, Um, and if you're in your Bible, you'll see the title of the chapter um, is Food Sacrificed to Idols, Um, and I don't know about you, but I get that question asked a lot, all the time. (laughs) You wouldn't believe it um but really i mean back back in first century a.d in the church of corinth um food sacrifice to idols was actually a really big deal um and so as we look into it um the church um, before this letter was written um by paul they were asking him a lot of questions about okay so now we're christians we are looking to the cross every single day we are spreading the gospel What are we supposed to think about this? What are we supposed to do about this? How do we react to this? Uh, Can we do this? Can we not do this? Um, So Paul begins addressing a bunch of these questions, and the first one he is looking at is food sacrificed to idols. Um, And so really quick historical context, um, Corinth, the city and church that this book was written to, um, was a hub of pagan religions, uh, idolatry, temple worship, uh, sacrifices to these uh, false gods. Um, so there was the whole city was just, that's what they did. That's, what's, that's what the lifestyle was. And so a lot of these Christians were coming out of this lifestyle of pagan worship and now were turned towards Christ. Um, and so this was one of the questions that they had. Um, and the reason this was a big issue is because um, there was a lot of sacrifices happening in the temple Um, and the most prized part of the animal sacrifice was the fat of the animal. It was the most valuable. That's what people craved the most, and so they sacrificed that to their gods, which meant there was a lot of meat from these animals left over, and so the temple would sell it at a discounted rate, um, which was much cheaper than the market, Um, and so these people were asking, okay, can we eat this? Is it idolatry or idol worship to eat this food? Um, or is there no issue at all because, well, idols don't really exist, so why is that an issue for us? Um, and so that's how we get to this question. Um, but beyond this question, Paul addresses um, an underlying issue and um, an underlying concept about unity in the body of Christ. Um, so let's take a look at... Um, at the text, uh, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'll just read through the whole thing, and you can follow it on the screens, or follow it on your device or book. Okay, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, To eat food offered to idols. And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So as Paul begins uh, this chapter, he addresses the question at hand now concerning food offered to idols. So I'm sure they were thinking, great, we're getting to it. This is good. This is what we want. And But right away, he doesn't say, yeah, you can eat it, or no, you can't. Um, he addresses something that is seemingly unrelated to the topic um, and about something that relate to each other, knowledge and love. So... Um, you know, I always like to put my, try to put myself in the shoes of the people reading the text, and so I'm sure they're looking at it being like, wow, thanks, Paul. That, that really helps. You know, that doesn't answer our question. Um, so let, let me go over verse 1 through 3 one more time just to see where Paul's going. So now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So here Paul begins exploring this partnership um, between love and knowledge. Um, And this is one that he's going to keep on weaving in the book um, of chapter eight and really through the rest of 1 Corinthians, um, culminating in, you know, the popular chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, um, the chapter of what love is um biblically. Um And so he he first says, you know, knowledge puffs up. And so essentially what's that saying? It's like, you know, we can gain a lot of knowledge and it's great, but it can also build us up in ourselves and build confidence in ourselves. And we really don't want that. We want ourselves to be grounded in Christ and who he is. Um, And so essentially he's just saying knowledge can be dangerous, so be careful. And so, you know, once again, cool story, Paul. What does this have to do with food? Nothing, you know, so we're not really getting anywhere. Um, But in verse 4 through 6, you know, he gets back on track. um, So let me read that. Therefore, as to the eating of foods offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Lord, jesus christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist before you know before i jump into what paul is really saying i love how in verse five through six he says you know there are many gods and many lords you know in quotations but he said we have one god who created the heavens and the earth and through whom all things exist and we have one lord jesus christ i love how he he addresses that this is the worldly view but this is the truth. This is God the Father, and this is His Son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, and so, going back onto going back into um, food offered to idols, you know, he kind of takes a pretty common sense approach. He says, "We know that there is one God, God the Father, and Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. There's only one God. Okay, so any other god doesn't make a difference because, first off, they don't exist, and they're false. And so, if we're sacrificing food, That not offered to anything is there really an issue so he's kind of taking the common sense approach there and so um you know essentially you know the food wasn't sacrificed to anything um so he's saying so what's the big deal if we eat it it's cheaper so save your money you know um and it's not it hasn't been sacrificed to anything so what's our problem um so in verse 7 paul gets into what the real issue is here so he says however not all possess this knowledge okay why is that and continuing further in to verse 7 but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled um and so with any church we have people who have um, who are very mature in their faith they've been walking with the lord for years and decades they surround themselves in the scripture in in god's presence um, and they live and breathe who jesus christ is and then we have some other people um, who might just be younger in age and so they're younger in the faith or they came to faith a little bit later in their life um, and so they don't have as much experience but that's what a family is right it's a balance of all these things you know the older helping the younger to grow them up into who they are just like parents do you know and so that's what a church is like and so paul is saying here you know there's especially in corinth there's a lot of people who came from this pagan religion um who you know spent their entire life worshiping these false gods and you know and then god saved them miraculously and they're like okay hold on we were going this way and now we're going this way this is a complete mindset mindset shift for them um and so what's you know Uh, what happened is these younger people in their faith saw these more mature people eating this food that was sacrificed to these gods they used to worship, and they're like, whoa, hold on. That's a big issue for me. Like, I used to worship them, and I know how terrible they are, because if we didn't worship them, you know, our families would would be hurt, and we'd have, you know, disease, and, you know, everything would go terrible if we didn't worship them And now we're worshiping Jesus, and you're worshiping Jesus, but you're eating this food still, and this doesn't make any sense, and I'm really conflicted. and um, So this is really where these questions came from. Um, And so this is where we get this phrase in verse 7, saying, however, not all possess this knowledge. And so it continues in verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, And we are no better off if we do. And so, you know, if we take food, you know, take it out and put something that's a little more culturally relevant, possibly, into the scenario, we could say, you know, we could look back in history and even 75 years ago, you know, a great majority of Christians saw going to the movie theater was a sin. And, you know a lot of us enjoy the theaters. We love going to a movie. A lot of people consider having a TV in your house a sin. A lot of people consider playing card games a sin. I grew up like that. I played Go Fish and War, and that's it. Like, that's all I ever knew. And dancing was a sin, and, uh, which is hilarious. Um, but so, but as, as it is, and funny note, you know, and that's how my family pretty much grew up. And then I married the high school cheer captain um, and so I'm sure my family was just delighted to know that I was marrying someone who actually danced in high school, like, as a sport. So, but that's funny, you know. Um, but, you know, I've grown in my faith, you know. Um, I love card games. I love board games. I love movies. I own a TV. And I'm not in sin because of those things. Um, But I will say, I still don't enjoy dancing. Like Ask Lindsay, um, the first and last time I ever danced, honestly, was probably at our wedding. And it's probably going to stay that way. So, Because I just don't like it. Uh, But there's nothing wrong with it. So that's what I'm saying. Okay, so getting back to the passage. So starting at verse 9, Paul begins addressing a specific audience in the church, um, those who are more mature in their faith. And so they know... Um, that because of their maturity and walking with the Lord for many years, they have freedom in Christ because of their faith with him. And that's a wonderful thing. That's one of the things that Christ gives us is freedom, freedom from sin and death, which is great, bondage to sin. We're free from that, you know. Um, we're free from the death that comes through that. Um, and so he's addressing these people who, who have that knowledge, saying like, hey, I understand this food isn't sacrificed to anyone, so I don't have an issue eating this food. So now he's talking directly to them. So in verse nine, he says, But take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Um, so the word right, this right of yours that Paul addresses, um, is kind of that knowledge, common sense that these people have, saying, Hey, I understand you get it, but these guys don't get it. Don't let it become a stumbling block. For them in other parts of the bible it says you know don't let yourself cause other people to stumble um, especially those weaker in the faith and so what's interesting is that this is kind of a responsibility that is placed upon us and i think at this point we kind of need to make it a big deal in our life um, especially as we interact with younger followers of christ it's partly our responsibility to make sure they don't stumble um and so going on to verse 10 through 12 his warning does get stronger um, and so he says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience with it is weak, you sin against Christ. That's a really big deal. So in verse 10, you know, Paul's warning is pretty clear. Even though we know, you know, addressing the more mature members of the church, even though we know that eating this food offered to idols isn't an issue, if our younger brother in Christ, who just came from this life of paganism, sees us and they're like, Oh, well, I guess it's fine, but I still have an issue in my mind, so I'm gonna eat it, but I don't feel right doing it, or causing them to sin. And that's what it says. And he even goes so far as to say that we are sinning against Christ. <clears throat> you know, this is an interesting and kind of, not unique, but interesting and important concept to grasp. You know, even though these stronger Christians had the knowledge that it wasn't an issue, their knowledge could wound younger Christians And cause them to stumble if they weren't willing to teach them and come alongside them in love. So don't forget in verse 1, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So now we're going to go into that second part of where love builds up the body of Christ. So the overall concept here is that Paul is alluding to is that the stronger brother or sister Needs to come alongside the other and to defer to that weaker brother and sister in love. And so, if you're spending time with him, you know, you don't complain or grumble or gripe about these things that you would prefer to do that you know is fine, but maybe they have an issue with it. You know, maybe your brother used to be an alcoholic and now he's a Christian. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to stay away from it. But if you're like, ah, come on, you're going to be fine. Just have one drink. It's fine. It's not a sin. You know, we know that's not an issue. You know, but he. It might be an issue in his head. And so defer to him. Don't grumble. Just say, you know what? I love you too much to even go near that road. Let's go find something else to do. And so if we teach them in love, if we use scripture in love, if we show them the freedom and liberty in Christ, in love, how different would that make our relationships with others? That really would change things, I think. And so going back to knowledge, Um, I feel like we can all, you know, relate to this, um, of how many people have you been around, you know, who we've called a know-it-all. You know, they love spouting off everything they know, you know, looking like the smartest person in the room. You know, their common catchphrase is, ooh, I knew that, I know that, or I know, you know. Um, Me personally uh, is something that I have constantly been working on, Um, because I used to be really bad about that, and I'm still not great, and I'm still working on it, um, and I know that I'm not doing it in love. Um, And so that's something that Christ is constantly working on in me. And so what if the knowledge that we've been given through the Holy Spirit when it comes to spiritual things and even physical things, what if we pour those out as a blessing to others in love instead of building ourselves up? Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So let's go, I'm going to take you out of uh, 1 Corinthians really quick into Ephesians 4, um, which is another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Um, Ephesians 4:15 tells us, rather, speak the truth in love, or speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And earlier in this chapter, Paul is urging the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And a few verses later, Paul goes on to say that all of this works together to build up the body of Christ in love. And so this knowledge that Paul is speaking of is to be seasoned and balanced in love, which means our freedom in Christ is to be balanced in love. It's like, you know, you're making a dish, and if you add way too much salt, all you taste is salt. You add some salt, my wife would adds about triple what I add because I'm always way too afraid to add too much. And She's like, no, just pour it in. It'll be fine, and it's always fine because she you knows so much to add. And so it's learning this balance of knowledge and love um, and so as strong mature believers we need to teach others in love not argue with them about what seems like common sense to us what seems like knowledge to us but not to them we need to walk alongside each other in love so that they can be built up so that relationships will grow and that their knowledge and relationship with Christ can be strengthened in part because of how we are treating them and how we are in a relationship with them. Um and and hear me say that, you know, if you walk alongside someone, this also includes, you know, biblical accountability. You know, showing love to someone does not mean a, hey, here's a get out of get out of sin free card because I love you. You know, no, this is a You know, we're building them up, and we're teaching them in Christ, and we're teaching them what the Word says biblically, um, but we're also, you know, pointing out, like, hey, this is an area that you might need to work on, that the Bible and that Jesus calls us to. Um, And so there's a balance with that. Um, And so if we take love out of the equation for a sec, um, we see people in bondage to their past, partly because we aren't willing to walk alongside them. We aren't willing to say, hey, I forgive you, I love you, let's work on this together. I've been there, you know, so let's do this together. If we take a love out, we have people walking in freedom as a mature believers, but we have other people still in bondage to their sin, and the immature stay immature, and the mature can become arrogant or, as Paul says, puffed up. And so the theme of freedom in Christ... And the love of Christ, you know, like I said earlier, will become really prevalent as we continue on in First Corinthians. Um, and so, I just want to walk us into First Corinthians thirteen, verse two, really quick, um, and where Paul in chapter eight begins to allude to this. And so, Paul writes in thirteen two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. We are without love, and we have all mysteries, and we can understand and fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and we can say to that mountain, jump, and it jumps, but have not love or nothing. Our freedom and liberty that we experience in Christ because of the death that He took on the cross for us, for our sins, is nothing without love. So, Matt, this is great. Love is awesome. We know this. What's the takeaway? Well, if you're a mature believer, surround yourselves with those who are younger in the faith or those without faith. And so, if you're parents and you got kids, prime opportunity. Raise your children in the Lord. Uh, I think it's in De- Deuteronomy where they said, you know, write or talk about these verses as you as you walk along the way and in your household and, and talk about who he is. You know, fill their lives with God and with Jesus. It's your job. It's your biblical responsibility. Grandparents, do the same thing with their grandkids. And honestly, they're probably gonna hear it better from you because, I mean, there's a lot of kids, I don't know if you've met them, but sometimes they don't like to hear what their parents have to say. Um, but when it's their grandparents, you know, their grandparents are practically Jesus who can walk on water. So if you're a grandparent, do the same thing. Teach them about Jesus. Teach them your life experiences about how God led you through these times. Um, show them the love of Christ. Um, if there's if there's someone at work who's on the fence or completely turned away from God, just be Christ to them every single day. It's your job. You know, Volunteer or Children's or Youth Ministry. Um, they're chock full of young believers. Um, find the families in your neighborhood. You know, just pick a few of them and go on walks with them. Prepare a meal for them. Pray for them when you're walking by their house. Um, you know, help them with yard work. Help them with housework. If they're a young mother and, you know, their husband's at work and they got a baby crying and their toddler's running all over the place, just help them out. You know, um, that is what. Christ calls us to. And so, um, if by the end of that list you still don't like anything I said, you know, um, so if you don't like kids, um, middle schoolers scare you, um, high schoolers are taller than you, um, you don't want to hold my nine-month-old son, I'm not judging, um, and, you know, you're not crazy like Pastor Jake who loves these kids, Um, consider mentoring someone new to the faith. Um, if you're a little bit older and mature in the faith, seek out a younger man or woman or teenager um, who just came to Christ and say, "Hey, I've been there. Let me walk you through this. Let me show you these incredible things in the Bible and show you what Jesus has done for me um, and mentor them. You know, um, I can look back on a few mentors in my life. Um, back in January, some of you guys got to hear Nathan Daniels speak. Um, who was a mentor for several years in my life during my installation weekend? Here is your worship pastor, um, and he spent years, years working on me um, because there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but he he taught me how to be a man in Christ. He taught me how to be a husband. Um, is teaching me how to be a father. Um, he walked alongside me and showed me this is what you're called to do. Matt, I've been there. I'm like only 10 years older than you. I have all this experience. Like, look at the word. Look at my life. Um, and of course, mentors, you make mistakes also. You know, you're human. Don't let that stop you from investing in someone else's life. You know, another good example for us is uh, Grant and Lisa Stewart. They have been phenomenal people for our family, um, for Titus, for Lindsay, for myself. We have loved them the past year. Troy and Shelley Hatton are also great people who we, uh, they live and breathe the word of God and is a blessing every time we talk to them. And that's all they do. They just mentor us and they love us. That's what it looks like. And so on the other end, if you're younger and you're like, okay, well, I'd love a mentor. That'd be great. But no one ever asked me. Maybe you could try to go seek someone out who you respect in the faith. And you're like, hey, can you walk alongside me and mentor me? I could really use it. I could really use someone who has walked this life with jesus and and loves him passionately loves the word and loves others you know can you show me how you got there can you just walk life with me so if you're younger surround yourself with more mature christians to continue to grow in christ so after all that everyone love your children love your grandchildren the children and youth of faith church and love the neighbors on your street. Do it in love, not out of obligation, but in love. Build up the body of Christ. Teach them, prune them, sharpen each other. You know, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one brother sharpens another. That's what we're here for. We're here to build up the body of Christ. You know, find a new believer and walk with them into this new relationship that they have in Jesus. You know, um, <clears throat> my mother-in-law this past week at their church in Arizona, um, their pastor talks about the ministry of presence, um, which was kind of this really cool concept of just—it's the ministry of just being there for people. They—they um, they live in a neighborhood. They said about 130 houses, and over the past few years, they've gotten to know 50 of those families that live in all those houses, and everyone knows them. They're like. Lindsay's parents walk like eight miles a day. It's absurd. But they walk by each of these houses and pray for them and talk with these people and they bring them meals and they have them over and like 90% of them aren't Christians. But Lindsay's parents are Jesus to these people. They surround themselves with those who don't know the the Lord yet and a few of these people have already found them just because her parents have been around and that's it. Um, So I encourage you to do that. Um, and, you know, in Paul's, Paul's ending in verse 13 um, is something you might consider um, to help these younger people out. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Take that seriously. You know, these younger people are relying upon the more mature people to guide them. And younger people look for these people. See who loves Christ. Look at their marriage. Look at their relationship with Christ. These are all good things, and this is what Paul is calling us to. Um, as we continue in 1 Corinthians, um, we'll be seeing more questions, um, but Paul's going to continue to point us to unity in the body, unity in Christ. We're better together. So Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've been a perfect Example for us. You know, while your son Jesus was here on earth, he spent the time with the tax collectors, with, with the prostitutes, with the widows, with the orphans. Um, honestly, he was harder on the Pharisees than he was on those than a prostitute. So Lord, let us be gracious to those who do not yet know you. Let us show love to those who need it. Let us build each other up in the body of Christ. Lord, as we continue on uh, through our day, and it's our end of this new year, a new decade, Lord, we continue to pray um, that others in our family and in our neighborhoods will come to know Christ, partially because of who you have turned us into be, as people who want to Come alongside these people to nurture them, to show them the love of Christ. God, we pray that you turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that are ready to hear your word and ready to hear your voice. God, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.